We've been getting hungrier for the Lord around here lately. I don't know if you can feel that. But in our prayer meetings, we've been getting hungrier for the Lord and it's a good place to be. We're going to keep on pressing in like that. Remember when I was in, um, how old would I have been? 95, I was just finished school and there was revivals breaking out around the world in different places. You all know what a revival is? It's where church life's going on like normal and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's at work and things are alive. It's where, you know, it's not just Christianity like normal, it's Christianity like it's supposed to be. (laughs) It's the normal you're supposed to have, not the normal you do have. And so when I was 95, 94, I think there was a great revival in Toronto. My dad went there and visited them. Then 95, there was a a revival in Florida called the, um, lots of names actually, uh, Pensacola Outpouring or the Brownsville Revival, Father's Day Revival, they had lots of different names. And that particular revival was so impacting that even if you weren't there, because none of us were there, but you just watched a video of it. I remember watching a video from the Brownsville Revival And I felt like I was such a sinner, I needed to get my life right with God right now. And I felt like I was going to hell if I didn't get on my knees right in that moment. And all of that was just from a video of the revival. We weren't even there. And so that was 95. Brownsville revival happened. I've got a few photos of Brownsville, um, just for your interest. That was, you know, in the middle of, this was a typical night. They had meetings every single night for six years or something. Um, There's another photo of Brownsville as well, the next one. Yeah, actually, I'll come back to that. But um, go back to the previous photo. Sorry, go back to the first one. Brownsville, the the particular church there, they cancelled their Sunday night service. They used to have two services, morning and night every week. The pastor there said, from now on, the Sunday night service is a prayer meeting. And normally with prayer meetings, everyone stops coming and just a few people come. But he told everyone to keep coming to church, but it's a prayer meeting now. And they had that prayer meeting on a Sunday night for a couple of years. And then it was on Father's Day in 1995, which in America is September, not in... um, in When's Father's Day from... It is September. Well, Father's Day in America is different. It's not the same as here. Anyway, whenever Father's Day was in America... That's the night that the Holy Spirit fell and things were just different from that night on. And then they just started having a meeting every single night and people came from everywhere. Millions of people ended up visiting this church. People impacted all around the world, including us. And then the next picture was the picture of the CD that came out. Now, there was a, a picture of an album, Revival at Brownsville. That's, it's old music now, but this was so alive. It wouldn't even hurt for you to look that up and just listen to some of the songs from the revival at Brownsville. So alive. But the real key was that they got hungry for God. And, you know, they started praying and that was the key. Anyway, just a week and a half ago, um, this new revival has started in Kentucky. And that's the next photo, that, the next one, that one there. This is actually not a church. This is actually a university, believe it or not. And this is their chapel. Now, the chapel is obviously a big chapel building. 
This particular university, Asbury College, they have a rule, Christian university, that you're not allowed to attend their university unless you go to chapel 10 times a year. You know, a lot of Christian schools have that type of a rule. When I went to Emmaus College here in Rockhampton, a Catholic high school, they had a rule that you had to go to chapel twice a year. And uh, yeah, so I went to chapel twice a year, which all the students would do. And I don't know if that's still a rule there, but it's a common type of a thing for Christian schools to have. And you know, the typical chapel would just be 10 or 20 or 30 people in there, sing a few songs, read a bit of the Bible, have a few prayers, off to classes. That would be the typical thing. Well, this is what chapel is like right now in Asbury. And it was Wednesday, not last week, the week before, that chapel just was different and the meeting hasn't stopped. It's still going. Well, people are coming from everywhere. Um, Bob Bain texted me last night and I haven't replied. Sorry, Bob. But he sent me a list of 20 other colleges now where the same thing's now starting to happen. It's because people are getting hungry. It's they don't want just the same old, same old all the time and they're willing to start saying to God, I want more of you. There's another photo, I think, of this. We'll show the fourth photo, but then hold off on the fifth photo for a minute. So yeah, this is like a, a typical moment in Asbury College right now. People on their knees. I tuned in this week. There's a live stream. You can go to YouTube and you can be in the live meetings right now. I tuned in a few times and just had it playing. The thing that struck me about it was it didn't sound very special on YouTube. You know, you have this, it wasn't like the Brownsville videos, which so gripped your soul and you felt like you had to get right with God right now. This particular revival felt very ordinary on the live stream, but I read, uh, and the music doesn't sound that special. Like if you listen to our live stream on the music, it doesn't sound as good as if, if you're in the building. I'm not going to say it sounds terrible, but let's just say there's something similar between how our live stream sounds and how that live stream sounds. The specialness of it isn't being carried through on the video. But people who've been to the meeting have said it's like they lost track of their, lost track. Someone said time slowed down, but no, actually time didn't slow down, time sped up. Because once it was kind of like hours would go by, six hours, and they would feel like they'd only been there a few minutes. And they'd realize, oh, it's 11 p.m. at night, I've got to go home, stuff like that. So time just seemed to just disappear. Um, so I thought I'd, you can go and Google, it's all over the internet right now what God's doing in Kentucky. Um, anyway, I've got, there's a guy called Daniel Kalender, he's a very famous Christian evangelist. He's the spiritual um, successor to Reinhard Bonnke. And he went to this revival uh, this last week and they interviewed him. They asked him, do you think it's a real revival? And uh, so he said all these things, I've got a, four or five paragraphs. He said, the worship gatherings at Asbury are similar to those that Charismatics or Pentecostals often have. This is not a rip-roaring, cut of the rug, people screaming and falling down experience. In other words, he said it's just like regular church. He said it's very simple, people are basically just worshipping the Lord. He said the services with no preacher and only average musicians, so this is just your average college student picking up a guitar and playing, he said nothing was very spectacular about it from an external observer. Um, but he said, you know, he's asked the question, is this a revival? And he said, in the simplest sense, a revival is when people are renewed 
It's when Christians are awakened, they have renewed love and passion for Jesus. He said, if that's revival, this is definitely a revival. So it's not very special in terms of what you can observe, but when you go there, people's hearts are just touched. They just change. They come out loving God. Something's different about it. Well, that's what we want. We want that type of hunger for God. And then he said, rather than try to figure out what is a revival, he would say, just get involved. That was his kind of summary of it. Don't try to decide, is that the real thing or is not the real thing, and analyse it. Just be hungry for God. Just do that. So I thought I'd show you this next photo. Don't, not yet. One second. This was a photo of Asbury College chapel meeting, like two or three days before the revival started. I thought it was a really interesting photo. Just pop it up. See that? Notice how there's hardly anyone there. But you notice what the people are doing. Can you see that really well? See this guy up the front here, just praying? Well, that's what was going on in the days before the revival. People were actually pray like they were just on their knees. Well, I just thought that's the most powerful of all the photos. That one guy there that's just saying, God, I need you. Well, him and other people like him, something about that has sparked a great move of God that's touching a lot of people all around the world right now. So I'd like to read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, a story, something that happened to Jesus. I thought it was a really interesting story in light of all these things that are happening. Now, Jesus learned... Uh, where are we? Have I got the right bit here? We'll start from verse 4. So John, chapter 4, we'll start from verse 4. Jesus had to go back through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired from the journey. He sat down by the well, and it was about noon, middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came, Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Um, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So it's just Jesus there and this woman She's at the well. Jesus says, would you get me a drink? So it's a process. You've got to hook the bucket on, lower the bucket all the way down to the water, you know, get the water, wind the bucket all the way up. It's not like today where it's easy. So he asked for a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? There's a lot of cultural stuff behind all of that, but Jews and Samaritans didn't mix with each other and Jews thought they were better than Samaritans. Jews wouldn't even talk to Samaritans and here's a Jew asking a Samaritan for a drink. She's like, why are you even asking me for a drink? You're a Jew, kind of thing. Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's put this in a different phrase. He said, if you knew who I am, you should be asking me for a drink. You're not talking about water. If you know who Jesus is, you should be asking him for a drink. Well, that's what they've been doing there at that Asbury revival. They've been asking Jesus for a drink. And they've been getting a drink. Well, have you ever done that before? Have you ever realised that Jesus can give you a drink of living water? Something that can touch your soul and satisfy it. Well, that's what we should be doing. Let's go on to John chapter 7. 
a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of John, verses 37 to 39, they had these annual pilgrimage festivals where they would all go to Jerusalem. Jesus didn't want to... He did want to go to it, but he didn't want everyone to know he was going to it. So he kind of like let everybody go ahead and he snuck down later in secret. But on the last day of the festival, um, you know, they realised he was there. It says, On the last and the greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point the Holy Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Whoever believes in me, said Jesus... Rivers of living water will flow from within him, and by this he meant the Holy Spirit. Well, you can ask Jesus for a drink, and he will give to you the Holy Spirit, which will become a river of living water flowing within you. So my guess is that most of the time, for most Christians, we're simply not that interested We wouldn't say that, of course. We wouldn't say we're not really that hungry for God or we wouldn't say we're not really that thirsty. But I would say most of the time that is the case. Or we're thirsty for a little bit. Just enough to feel good about ourselves, to say I'm okay, but not truly thirsty or not truly hungry. That would be, I'm guessing, a typical Christian situation. There's a guy in the Bible who um, wanted a miracle from God, and I've forgotten which gospel it's in, but he cried out to Jesus for a miracle, and Jesus said something like, do you believe? And his answer was, I do believe, but help me help my unbelief. It's kind of like saying, I believe, but I don't as well. Well, that's a little bit like us with how hungry we are for God. We're kind of hungry for God, but we're kind of not as well. Because so much is going on in our lives. They take up all our thoughts, our attention, and we're worried about lots of things. That we, Yeah, we do want more of God, but we don't as well. That's most people. So we've got to say a kind of prayer, like what that guy said. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We've got to say something like, Lord, I'm hungry for you, but help me because I'm not hungry. We've got to say something like that. And in doing that, you're going to find that you start getting hungry for the Lord. He's going to help you with that. And this morning we're going to do that in just a minute. Um, When I was going through the Bible, when I was going through the Psalms in my daily Bible videos, when I went through Psalm 36... I thought it was talking about unbelievers. But when I was preparing this sermon, I came to realise it, it is talking about unbelievers, but it's also talking about you. And uh, we're going to put up Psalm 136, verses 1 to 2, which when you read it, you don't think it's talking about Christians at all, but it really is. It's a little bit shocking. Psalm 36, 1 to 2. 
I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. We read that and we think the wicked is someone else. We don't think it's us. It says there's no fear of God before their eyes. They flatter themselves too much if they think they're good that they cannot even detect or hate their own sin. I went back to listen to my Psalm 36 Bible video just to see what I had to say about it. And I said something at the time because I was talking about, I thought I was talking about unbelievers when I made the video. And I said that this was a real tragedy, that some people are so blind to the fact that they've got sin that they can't even get themselves right with God. Because if you don't know you've got a sin problem, you're not going to do anything about it. That's the flattering, flattering yourself so much you don't even detect it. Well, that's most people. Most people have got sin in their life, kind of like stage four cancer that's just gone and it's everywhere, but they don't even know. Yeah, that's the worst thing about stage four cancer is that if you hadn't picked it up and it's got to stage four, it's too late. It's going to kill you. But if you pick cancer up when it's early, like stage one, well, you know you can often do something about it. There's treatments. Of course, you know, we can pray for people if you're at stage four, and God can work miracles too. But when people don't detect their own sin, and you can't really detect it on your own anyway, you do need God's help to do that. But it gets to the point where you just riddle with it, it's all over the place, you're so full of it, it's going to kill you. The wicked, they, 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 you can't even hate your sin because you don't even know you've got it. So Christians all around the world, we're not, we've got this problem where on one hand, we think we're fine. We think we're all good, Jack. My life's going great. I've got my heaven sorted out. Tick. I'm going to heaven when I die. Now I just live how I want. Just make sure I don't murder anyone and do any really bad things. But not realising that their lives are full of things that displease the Lord. Getting offended. Getting angry. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Hatred. Clinging to their rights. Demanding that people treat them better. Anyway, on and on and on it goes. We're all as bad as everyone else. And... Um, the second half of this psalm is like a complete flip. And uh, you'd think he's talking about different people. It says here, let's read the second half of this psalm, verses 5 to 9. It says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them to drink. There's that drinking thing there. From the river of your delights. For in you is a fountain of life. And in your light we see light. It's like a complete flip. Here's the, this is what Jesus was talking about. Ask of me and I'll give you a drink. This is the second half of the psalm. 
These two things go together. The receiving of God, you can, you can ask the Lord for a drink and you can receive from him the fountain of his delights like this is describing, but you can really only receive from him if you're hungry or thirsty. But you can really only be hungry or thirsty if you've got the fear of the Lord and the hatred of sin. In other words, you realise how much you need him. These two things go together. There's a, just to prove my point, there's a Bible verse. Uh, it's James. James chapter 4. We'll read verses 4 to 10. And it says, You adulterous people. It's, it's an interesting book, the book of James. It's written to Christians. <laughs> He's calling them adulterous people. You know, in other words, you're loving everything else other than God. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? God's so jealous. He wants his Holy Spirit to be in us. It says he gives grace. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. In other words, when you're proud, when you don't think there's anything wrong with your life, when you think, I'm fine, I don't need much. In other words, you're not hungry for God because you don't realise you need anything. It says God opposes that. But when you're humble and you're becoming hungry and you're thirsty and you realise you need him and you realise your life's full of sin and you come to him and you're, you're on your knees before him, it says he shows favour to the humble. Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify you hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So we want to get hungry for the Lord. We want to have a move of God like what they're having in Asbury right now. But it's not only a case of saying, God, I want a drink. You have to say, Lord, I want a drink. But you also have to realise that there are things that stop you from having the drink. There are blockages in your heart and in your life, which means you kind of can't have a drink. You've got to come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry for these things. There are things you know you've got to say sorry for. I don't know what they are but they're probably the same for most people. And then you've got to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, but now give me your spirit. We've got to get hungry for the Lord. In, um, in Brownsville Revival, they had a song that they played every single night. And I don't know if that was on purpose or I, I could read up more on it, but I think it was the night that it started. It must have been the song that played at the end of the sermon that very first night and they just decided to keep on playing it every night. Well, we're going to play that in about a minute. And I'm going to invite the band to come. And um, what I want to do is this song is called The Mercy Seat. Now, the mercy seat is the place you come before God to receive his mercy. The mercy seat isn't a physical place. It's a place in your heart. 
but sometimes it helps to do something physical to put you there, like get on your knees or something like that. So what I want to do, and they, they played this song every night at the end of the sermons in Brownsville, and people would run. They would run from the back, they would run down the front, and they would get on their knees, and they would start repenting of their sins. So many people have had their lives touched. I went and listened to the song on YouTube and all the comments. And this guy said, and there was a lady, um, what was her name? Charity James that sang that song every single night. She was just a teenager or something when it all started. And someone said in the comments something like, I found the Lord listening to the voice of Charity James. Well, it wasn't her voice. It was the Holy Spirit's voice, but she was just the singer. Well, we're going to play that song right now on the, you know, in the system. But if, if you feel like you got something to lay down, or you need to come running to the mercy seat. You can run out the front if you want, or you can get on your knees right where you are if you want. But you, your job is to like lay your life down before the Lord, give up the things that are the blockages, and then say, Lord, I'm hungry for you. That's your job this morning in these final moments. I'm going to invite the band to come because after that, we, I don't know what will happen, but we might have some prayer or whatever after that. I'd like the band to be ready for that. But um,
what I might do is we'll just, I think we might just have some. I'm just going to get the band to just play some music now. And um, your job is to be hungry for God. We happen to have a week of listening prayer just starting in the morning at 7 o'clock. Your job is to get hungry for God. And while the music plays this morning, you can come out the front and you can talk to the Lord about your heart, We'll get some leaders to pray with those who are here. But we have a week ahead of us. Be in the week. If you're a mum and you can't come, join the Facebook page. Put your hand up. Tell everyone you're in the week. You're doing it from home. Let's be hungry for God. So let it not just be a week of silent prayer, but let it be a week of hunger, waiting for the Lord. Lord, we're hungry for you, but we also know we're not. But Lord, take a hold of us and increase our hunger. I invite you by the Holy Spirit to be at work right now in everyone that's here present this morning. And Lord, as we go through this week ahead of us, a week of listening prayer, I pray it would be a week of receiving, a week of drinking, a week of soaking, a week of a mo- where the Holy Spirit moves. Lord, let, let every heart be sensitive to you today. We're just going to let the music play and we'll declare the, the meeting over. But it's not over if you're wanting to come out here and pray. So just be mindful to keep your talking down and let the Lord work in those who are hungry. God bless you all.